All right, so let's make it plain. Welcome back to Make It Plain, Wayne, where we will entertain, we will heal, and we will build you up. I am Wayne, <laughs> and this is Elevated Friendship. So for today, I want to get into a topic that uh, is near and dear to my heart and will never, ever fade, <laughs> my track and field journey. And, you know, it, what's really funny about this piece is, you know, i never really wanted to hang up the spikes and retire them. Uh, but after, you know, graduating from college and wanting to get out in the real world and, you know, finally just participate in, in grown up life and grown up activity, um, you know, I, I put the spikes away so I could go out and earn a living. And, you know, to my surprise, I wasn't done. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I want to start with my present day master's track and field uh, perspective and talk a little bit about that. Then I'll talk about, you know, my humble beginnings and, you know, kind of going through the high school and college years and, you know, where that, you know, leaves me today. And, and I also have some advice uh, for you parents that want your kids to run uh, track and field here in the Midwest because um, <laughs> we're a little bit different in the Midwest as far as food and training and the weather. <laughs> you already know that. Um, but I just competed in, uh, you know, my second master's track meet, the Cornerstone State Games, um, which they host every year here in Nebraska. And it, it, for me, it's always been that last, uh, you know, that last drop, that last hoorah, um, you know, before, you know, everybody finally says they're done. And you watch a couple of the, you know, major track meets on TV and, you know, watch the pros do it. So my journey to get to, you know, the Corners of State Games and, you know, the, the meet before that. So two Masters track meets, um, it was it was fully loaded. I mean, I faced so many things in just this uh, this campaign, this run of training, which actually for me started in November. Um, from that time until now, I've lost 24 pounds. And you would say, well, how did you know? How, why would you even measure yourself and weigh yourself? Well, I work with a mixed martial artist. <laughs> and if you know anything about these guys, they're boxers or wrestlers. Um, you know, a lot of them, you know, come from that, you know, background, boxing and wrestling. But, you know, some do, you know, have the judo, the Brazilian jiu-jitsu or, uh, you know, karate or Muay Thai background. A lot of them do. Um, but <laughs> my friend, in this case, um, just happened to notice a scale we were walking uh, through our new building, our new office, and uh, we weigh ourselves and he sees that I definitely weigh more than him and I'm shorter, which, you know, on most standards is usually bad. So I weigh in and I'm, you know, almost scratching 200 pounds. And he's like, how you feel about that, bro? <laughs> And I'm and at this point, I'm like, I look good. I get my hair cut. I go to my barber. You know, I'm wearing my nice clothes. I got my new belts. You know, I look good. I'm styling. And that was the thing. There's nothing wrong with looking good and, and, and wearing good fabrics and good clothing. Um, but to be honest, I was actually hiding, you know, my body. Um, I would hurry up and change clothes or hurry up and, you know, uh, put some, you know, clothes on after the shower because, I wasn't 18 or 24 and that same kid that had the hip flexors that looked like two wallets, you know, <laughs> one and 2% body fat. I, I really wasn't. And after, you know, being very, very hands on with my daughter this first and second year, you know, that sacrifice uh, put me in a position where I gained weight and, you know, at, at first, you know, it wasn't anything, you know, I, I bring home this beautiful baby girl that I felt like I did not deserve <laughs> because she was just so precious and beautiful and lovely. I bring her home and I'm in pretty decent shape. I had been running around the neighborhood and, and, and down here where I live. It's a very hilly, slopey terrain, lots of uh, creeks. 
I've been working out and running, you know, and and doing a pretty good job at the gym. Like I was almost benching, you know, 320, in between 315 and 320. You know, I was doing my stairs. I was looking good, feeling good. And uh, I, you know, wanted to be there as a dad. You know, I didn't want my wife to feel like she was alone, you know, raising the baby. So, you know, you sacrifice your sleep, you sacrifice your time, you sacrifice your freedom in just caring for that baby. And I didn't want my wife to feel like she was alone. So I (laughs) willingly threw myself onto the flames and I didn't realize it, but my wife is breastfeeding. So she's eating whatever she wants and burning it instantly. I'm eating all this food just because it tastes good. <laughs> so I didn't really gain any weight while she was pregnant. I know some you know couples do that while they're together. I did not. I didn't see really any value in that. Um, and I, I'm not disres- hopefully I'm not disrespecting you if you do. Um, if you want to do that and it's cute and it's lovely and it makes you feel good, great. I just I didn't understand it. Um, but. A year goes by and I'm like, I got to do something. So I start running in the morning, 530. And it was maybe one of the greatest things I'd ever done. I felt great. Only problem was the way my body is wired as a, as a runner, as a sprinter, as an athlete, just running isn't enough. And, and my personal trainer friends have no problem telling me this. You can't spot train and you can't just do cardio. It's, it's not enough. So after a couple months of that, it finally gets cold. I start getting up in the morning and, and watching my shows and drinking my coffee and, you know, eating whatever I want. Well, a year goes by and, you know, I'm kind of heavy. I'm not really going to the gym very much. And, you know, when I can sneak off and go to the gym, I'm basically doing things out of survival. So finally, you know, one of my good friends, Bub, <laughs> he gets a hold of me and says, hey, I want you to try this workout. And so I try the workout. I'm doing what I can to do, you know, the workout and a light turns on my body starts, you know, reacting to these workouts. And, you know, now he owns his own gym uh, and we'll be talking soon, a podcast together. Um, but that little bit of, of core work. And, and workout that he gave me was very helpful. And then right around the time that I weighed myself with my coworker um, was when I was around that 200 pounds. So like I said, I thought I looked good, but I was actually just beginning to slim down. <laughs> and, you know, wrestlers, fighters, boxers, mixed martial artists, they know their body. They know weight because they've had to do it so much. And... Right at this time, you know, I was doing a lot as far as eating, a lot of calories, a lot of comfort food, a lot of soul food. And, you know, I was just getting it in. Well, that came to a screeching halt when I had to get the left side of my wisdom teeth out. And most people that that don't know, if you're older, getting your wisdom teeth out is quite a job. I was at a risk for having a fractured jaw. And just like my body, as you get older and stronger, so do those wisdom teeth. They root deeper. They grow bigger and stronger. And I mean, they were hard to get out. I asked the doctor because I was asleep. (laughs) I took the juice. I went to sleep. So I asked him, you know, about the, you know, surgery and the procedure. And the right side is the one they were worried about the most. I had that done last year, um, just before Valentine's Day. And um, the right side was the one they were worried about the most because the the tooth was laying on my jaw nerve. You damage that and you lose the feeling in your face. You break it up enough and the jaw is compromised, fractured. And so in the first and second time that they had to remove my teeth, the big scare was, will he have feeling in his face again? And will we damage this jaw and just trying to get this tooth out? So because of how big they are and my age and the risk, they only did the right side last year and did the left side this year. Now, 
you would think, oh, you know, I got my wisdom teeth out when I was 16, when I was 20. So you'll heal up. You'll be fine. Nope. <laughs> the uh, tooth on the bottom left side was actually laying down. So the part that you normally chew with is usually um, for your bottom teeth is facing up and for your top teeth is facing down. Mine was actually facing forward. <laughs> so even if this tooth had broken through, it would look like it was laying sideways and they had to pull that out. That thing took forever to close. I got dry sockets. The pain from that alone was, I mean, disastrous. So, you know, you got to wait three days after the surgery before you can work out, three days before you can do anything strenuous. And for the next, I think, I don't know, two or three weeks, I took every medication they threw at me, even the topical treatments to remove the pain. I mean, the stuff tastes horrible, but it worked like a genie. So why am I telling you all this? All those medications have an effect on your body. And all those medications work very well. They do exactly what they're intended to do. They're great. But it almost completely stripped me of all the success I had taking my probiotic. <laughs> I've been taking Flourish. It's a probiotic made by Integro. I'll uh, leave the link in the, in the comments or the uh, description as well. I've been taking this uh, probiotic for four years. And over the process of four years, it's removed my IBS. It's removed that anxious anxiety feeling in the morning when I want to work and focus on my work, but I got to, you know, go find a restroom at a certain time of day. Um, it's removed that. It's given me more testosterone. It's, you know, I'm even growing a beard. <laughs> it's, it's given me more of an edge. So to get to this point now in life where I'm slimming down, I'm starting to look better. And now I'm kind of derailed by these wisdom teeth. It really threw me off because, yeah, I want to train to run in my first master's track meets. I had kind of made it up in my mind that I wanted to run. I wanted to train. But this really threw me off. A couple months later, I lose my grandfather. And the hard part about this was, I mean, I'm out of grandpa's. <laughs> And I have one grandma left, and this was her husband. And uh, it was tough. It was hard. You know, not only am I going through, you know, all the things in my personal life at home, just being a dad. And, you know, I've got several projects that I'm working on that keep me busy and a little stressed. You know, you lose one of those monumental people like your grandfather. And as I'm carrying him down the stairs as a pallbearer, I twist and, and damage my knee. Oh, boy. So I didn't know if I had re-injured my meniscus, if I had, you know, bruised my ACL and, and sprained it. I didn't know what happened. All I knew was it hurt. Months later, I lose my uncle. So my uncle passes away. So it's like, I, can't, I just can't get ahead. Like, I, I'm, I'm a father. So that is, you know, an added re, uh, uh, responsibility and an added, you know, push to be better. That's going to take up time. I'm trying to slim down. I'm trying to eat healthy and, and bring back all the good uh, bacteria in my body with my probiotic. <laughs> I'm trying to heal up my knee. I got to worry about my meniscus tear because I, I tore that in college and now I'm trying to, you know, be gentle with it. I don't know if I completely re-injured that. And then my Achilles starts hurting again. Now, after college, I decided, man, I never have to run again. So, you know, why not, why not start to look good? Let me put on some muscle. Let me look good out here. You know, I'm a married man, but that shouldn't change anything because she needs something good to look at, too. <laughs> I, want, I want to build up my legs, build up my calves. You know, I've always had the chicken legs as a runner. Let me build up my calves, build up my legs. You know, let me, let me get buff on them, um, you know, and I had added maybe about 10, 15 pounds of muscle and everybody seemed to like that. Well, fast forward to now, you know, I've been married for almost 10 years and <laughs> that Achilles did not, that Achilles did not like what I had did. Um, all that training to build calves um, and the combination of trying to run 
I guess I never really took care of my Achilles the way I should have. Of all my running and all my training, I was always very flexible as a runner and took very good care of my body, except my Achilles. I never paid attention to him. And seeing Kobe Bryant out with his Achilles injury, that was that was like the 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 warning, the number two warning. The number one was actually seeing my dad go through it. And we're basically the same person. <laughs> so seeing him tear his Achilles was like, ooh, maybe I should pay attention to this. So I'm icing, I'm massaging, I'm, I'm, I'm throwing my leg in front of a masseuse to, you know, ask questions and see if they can help me. Um, but that wasn't it. In my master's track and field journey, I had to even drive 20 and 30 minutes just to find the right track. Now, for some odd reason, I lived two minutes, two minutes from the closest track. And the others are about 10 minutes away. Both of them are closed and locked up. Both of them are getting remodeled. And then the one just, you know, north of me is locked up to the teeth. <laughs> so I'm like, man, so I got to do more driving just to do my training. And for some odd reason, all the all the schools in this uh you know, part of the uh, city are closed and locked up and being remodeled. Everywhere else, the hood, the suburbs, midtown, downtown, all of it are open. Only hurdles that are closed and locked up are the ones around me. So, and I'm going to have a fun time explaining that to uh, everybody around here too. <laughs> Especially when I get to the end of this piece here. So, other thing is, you know, when you're training and running, you have about three months to train on these tracks, um, March, April and May. And, you know, when those tracks are, you know, when those teams, I'm sorry, are done with running and competing, they don't need the hurdles out anymore unless maybe football or another, you know, uh, team needs them like a summer track team. So a lot of places have just put their hurdles away. And I'm like, I need to train. That's that's what I'm running is hurdles in the 200. So, of course, I got to drive 20 and 30 minutes just to find, you know, a good track and find a track that's open and find a track with hurdles. So <laughs> the obstacles were present. The obstacles were there. Somehow, by, you know, just the good graces of just great friends, um, two all-stars, two athletes, good friends of mine, um, Steve and Tanya, happened to invite me to a, uh, a master's track meet. And they just split it up by 40. Either you're younger than 40 or older than 40. And <laughs> I, get to, I, I get to run in that. I entered myself in the 100. I wanted to know how that raw speed would feel and have that competition right on you because I train alone. So, you know, you need that that brush with greatness, that brush with competition and, and to be in somebody's face and have somebody in your face so that you know what that, that caveman grunt feels like. So I ran, I had a great time in this meet, I ran prelims and finals. Um, I'm not going to tell you my time, <laughs> but I had a great time in this meet. It really helped me prepare and get, you know, get ready for, you know, just competition again. And I really needed it. I really thanked them for that. And uh, the, the host of the meet, Derek, he did a, a great job putting on the meet. I, I'll definitely run next year. I might even run like the 800 or something, even though I don't train the 800. <laughs> but um, I had a great time. It was a great meet. And that really set me up for the next month. Um, it was hot. Oh, my God, it was hot. June, June, the beginning of June was okay. The middle of June, cooking. The end of June, wow. Oh my God. So by the time we get to July, I mean, it was just like 90 and 100 degree days. And if you don't know, living in the Midwest is an extreme in every case. You have extreme winters, extreme summers. So you literally go from zero and 10 degrees and frostbite to blistering heat. So I'm adapt and equipped to handle it. Most people aren't. They complain about it. You know, I just feel like you live here, get through it, do it, or just move. <laughs> but I just don't like wearing work clothes. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to say I'm going to walk around here naked, but hey, 
you know, when it's hot out, I don't want to wear work clothes. I don't want to be buttoned up. I want to be in a tank top and shorts. Like, that's it. Flip-flops, optional. <laughs> so, I mean, it's getting hot. And so, fast forward to my second of, you know, two Masters track meets, uh, Cornish Estate Games. I'm, you know, finally running in this meet. Um, not as a uh, Bantam midget youth intermediate or young man like I used to. I'm running as a master's old guys out there. And um, by the way, if you have not competed in a master's track meet, golf outing, CrossFit, bodybuilding world, uh, golf tournaments, you can't really appreciate, I don't think really appreciate a sport until you see someone twice your age doing it. The drive and determination and joy that they get out of it almost made me reconsider and rethink this whole thing. And seeing a guy that's 65, more cut and toned and chiseled than everybody out at the track, wow, wow. So, you know, it's always something to learn for me. I don't necessarily believe there needs to be a line between old school and new school. I think we need to learn from each other. You can check with my previous podcast about that. But (laughs) this meet was hot. 90 degrees, I think, right at like 8 a.m. And uh, my friends, Steve and Tanya, were, you know, jumping, triple jump, long jump, high jump, all the way already in the the morning before I even got there. So I'm, you know, going to go do my little hour warm up. You know, half an hour jogging and stretching and warming up and I, you know, break it up with, you know, a little bit of, you know, hurdle drills. And then I, you know, come sit down and stretch and I'll go do my sprint drills, put on my spikes, ready to go. And that did not happen. (laughs) It was so hot and they were moving so fast early in the morning. It cut about 20 minutes out of my workout. So I'm literally in between changing clothes and halfway in between my drills before I see them run two races before me. So I'm changing in the bathroom and the kids are probably in there thinking like this old guy's crazy. He's just changing in the corner, but I literally had nowhere else to go, but to stand in front of the urinal, the sink or the doorway. <laughs> so I'm in the corner changing my outfit, putting my stuff on. They announce who's running. We get heats and lanes. I get in my blocks and oh my God, it's my second race out of blocks in almost, you know, 15 years. And I forgot to add, I did not have blocks. My first time going out of blocks was actually at the previous meet where I ran the hundred. And I mean, my feet were all in there funny. My hips were all low. I didn't even have my you know, feet, hands right. I'm doing everything wrong <laughs> and all the hundred meter enthusiasts, all the hundred meter, you know, gurus out there know like there's a way that your feet, your hands, your knees, everything needs to be. And it took me over a month to perfect that. When I finally got some blocks, uh, the crew at West Side let me borrow them. Mr. Derek, appreciate you and thank you again. Um, but to be such a technical guy with hurdles, you would think that blocks would be something I would scratch off the list early. But I didn't. I assumed, (laughs) like in my high school and college years, they would just be there. Well, nobody just leaves blocks out at the track. (laughs) And I would forget every time. Well, finally, I'm back at the Cornhusker State Games. I'm in the blocks. Runners to your marks. I do my final stretch. I get ready. Get in the blocks. Set. Gun goes off, take my eight steps, boom, get over it, boom, get over it, boom, get over it, boom, get over it. Now, as I'm running, most people don't realize, like, you expect most hurdlers to be tall. So I assume that everybody near me is better than me because they're taller than me. That always made me run harder. That always made me run faster. Well, I start spreading away from them. I finally clipped the last hurdle. I, I got a little wobbly on hurdle nine, which, you know, it's my fault. I clip hurdle 10 and finally cross the finish line. 
I was alone. <laughs> um, I enjoy the win. I take it all in. I, you know, do my bow and wave. Well, I go back and watch the, you know, race. There, my my sister and my wife have it on, you know, Facebook, YouTube, all that. <laughs> but you know, my dad is, you know, thanking me and shaking my or uh, congratulating me, and I'm thanking him and shaking his hand and. It's like, all right, well, now I got to run this 200. And so midway through the meet, I'm, I'm, you know, having a little sandwich, finally getting some Subway after months because <laughs> I've been on a limited diet trying to slim down and eat the right things. I get a little flatbread sandwich. I go eat. I come back. My dad's like, you need to, you need to talk to Steve. I'm like, what? what? What's he talking about? He's probably got, you know, him and his daughter are probably doing something cute. Him and... Steve and Tanya's daughter plays with our daughter. They're both adorable. And I'm like, oh, they're probably just messing around. He's like, no, you got to come over here. He keeps texting me, calling me. I'm like, all right, all right, I'll come over. So, of course, Steve, being uh, uh, the amazing guy that he is, the showman that he is, and the marketing genius that he is, <laughs> because he knows me, He's playing with me and he's asking me interrogation style Batman questions. Where is he? Who is he? <laughs> and he's asking me about my times. He's asking me about my birthday. He's asking me how old I am. He's asking me, you know, all these questions. I'm like, huh? And he's like, look at this. So he shows me. And I'm sitting there and he's like, and what time did you run? I'm looking at the screen and it doesn't click. Well, finally, it does. The time that I ran places me third in the nation. And so he stops, goes through a whole nother cycle and says, I got to blow it up worldwide. <laughs> and I'm laughing and I'm, I'm, I'm still thinking he's kind of joking and kidding around with me. And truth of the matter is, I look up to this man. I love this man. He's like a brother to me. When he's serious, he's serious. And Everything he does follows that <laughs> because he he's just awesome. His wife as well. And he shows me the worldwide rankings and I'm ranked seventh according to time. Now, I don't know how well you all know people, but when somebody knows the world and they know training and they know what they're doing, usually when they put something in front of you, it's legit. This was legit. <laughs> so. I kind of had to take that to heart. And so I go and run my 200. I ran an okay race. I pulled up right after 50 meters. I finished, great finish, um, ran an okay time. Um, I won't tell you because secretly I know I could have done a lot better um, and I know what I have to do this next season. But I, I really took that to heart because I'm used to seeing like my friends that are all-star stud football players, track athletes, and, um, you know, mixed martial artists, I'm used to seeing them do things on a big scale. I just wanted to run my little race, go get a little sandwich, get my free t-shirt, and have a nice day. Yeah, I wanted to be competitive, yeah. But, like, I wasn't ready for all that. And so it's like, whoa, now I got a target on my back? And now I have something to, to do. Like, I have to, you know, go work at this. You know, I can't just slack and go back to where I was, you know, six months ago, a year ago, seven months ago. So it really lit a fire in me. And I'm happy for that. And, you know, the, the thing is, I was just used to Masters, um, you know, and... USATF being something on the professional level that I watched on TV or something that my dad or uncle did. And then it's like, well, hey, I think I like this. Well, duh. I mean, if I loved it enough to do it from 14 to 24, yeah, I would say I like it. <laughs> but when I watch American Ninja Warrior, I'm inspired. I love that. When I see these, you know, people in their 50s and 60s that have the gray hair and they're sexy. That inspires me. I love that. I love the goodness at all ages. Like, like when we say people are old, I don't think that should 
necessarily mean um, bad. A age ain't nothing but a number. And I mean, I am quoting Aaliyah, not R. Kelly, but Aaliyah. I love some Aaliyah. But when I see like golfing, when I see guys going out there golfing and they're getting in shape by golfing or they're running marathons and half marathons, it inspires me. So if you're listening to this message, please be inspired. If you want to go out and bodybuild at 55 and get in the 55, 65, 85 age group, please do that. I need to see you do that. Ernestine Shepard is, uh, if you don't know, she's um, a black woman. I believe she's in her 70s or 80s. She's bodybuilding. She looks great. She looks amazing. So if you're thinking about doing something, rowing, cycling, rag bry, <laughs> uh, uh, swimming, whatever it is, dancing. If you want to enter a dance competition, you, I'm too old. No, you're not. There's probably a group of people that want to join you and do that exact thing. What happened for me when I told people I was running, there were guys that want to come train with me. That's a good thing. We'll hold each other accountable. And so, you know, when people invite you to things or ask you about things, I think we duck away because of what we've been doing so long. We've been hiding. We've been under a shell. We've been overweight. We've been our, our kids' parents, you know, and I'm, I'm trying to prepare for it now. You know, where, you know, I'm not, I don't even have a name. I'm, you know, Yelena's dad. <laughs> Are you Yelena's dad? <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm preparing for that. But you've been what you've been for so long that you forgot. It's okay to be a little bit selfish and get some stuff for yourself because you don't understand the things that you give up will never come back. The things that you work for and acquire are yours. A lot of people think you need to be a billionaire to be successful. Mm -mm. I think you just need to know who you are and what you possess. If you know who you are and what you possess, it really changes your outlook on things. You're not just here living life to have nothing. We all have something to be happy for. We all have something to use and utilize. And it's, it's, it's foolish to think that all you are is an employee, that all you are is a cog in the wheel. That's not true. People need employees. So if they need you to be that cog in the wheel, just think of what you could do if you ever put your energy in the right way. If you shoot darts and play darts, please enjoy that. If you're doing it and having a great time, please enjoy that. You might meet some people that you really need to meet or want to meet. Or run into some people that you really wanted to run into just by doing something you love. But for me, um, track and field came from humble beginnings. <laughs> um, I'm not sure how my parents found out about this. I'm, I'm guessing it was my mom. She's a Delta, Delta Sigma Theta. So if you're putting up the hand symbol, um, the team was all red. So I, I think that's how she found about them is through some deltas. And I was about, I'd say, 10, maybe when I ran for the, the Midwest Riders. And the irony is we practiced at the Omaha Central High School track and field. And that's later where I went to high school. <laughs> um, but that's where we practiced. And I, the gentleman I spoke of earlier, Steve, I would see him there. I would see Lionel there, his cousin. They were they were all stars at a young age, but they really did it big once they got into, you know, their senior years and in college. They just blew the walls off of almost every place they went to as jumpers and runners. So I looked up to them. I thought they were awesome. They were cool. I was not. <laughs> I was slow. I was bad. If you wanted to get camera shots of what it felt like to run a track meet but not win and see the back of everybody's jerseys and their spikes and their heels in the back of their head, I could have gave you that picture every track meet. So, <clears throat> excuse me, naturally, what do you do with somebody 
that has sprint ability but seems to have a long stride, you put them in mid-distance, 400-800. Oh my god, it sucked. I hated it. I hated it. I hated it. <laughs> I wanted to quit so bad every day and run around that hot track because summer track starts in May. Um, you know, that's when, when your meet start is in May. Your regular track meets start in, you know, the mm, late, I say late spring, you know, in the Midwest, um, because that's as soon as you can run. I'm even in the newspaper shoveling out a, a lane so we could run. But um, yeah, summer track, we're just running around 80, 90 degree days on that hot track. And <laughs> I wanted to quit so bad. <laughs> And, you know, my, you know, bless my parents' heart. They stayed with me. We went through it, you know, that whole year. I ran. I, I, I was even sweeping on a little girl, a little girlfriend. I think her name was, uh, uh, God, what was her name? God, I think it was not Lakeisha. God, what was her name? I can't remember her name right now. But... <laughs> I want to give a huge shout out and cheers to the coaches. Um, coach Frazier and Coach Deb were coaching us. They were the voice in our head that told us to finish it up, knees up, finish it up. And I don't think a lot of parents understand the, the time and money and sacrifice it takes to keep these kids snot nose, ghetto, trailer park, trash attitude because not a lot of kids want to run track they're using their time and money to help us run track and basketball can be expensive soccer is even more expensive volleyball i think is up there too so got to prepare for that i think but please please give them some love for all those summer track coaches, please give them some love. And like, and they all know who they are. And if you don't know, I mean, one of the coaches that coach for the boys on my boys and girls club, um, I think he would just carry around shoes for kids that needed shoes to train with. I mean, their hearts, I mean, they're, they're literally angels. I mean, this is like nonprofit work here <laughs> and they're teaching values to these kids as they're on their track teams. I mean, there's, there's some track teams, um, because of location um, that have to all practice at the same track. There's like four or five teams that practice at one track, but you would much rather have your kids out doing that than learning all these other things or just sitting on the TV or, or computer all day watching, you know, stupid videos. But we need to send a, a huge shout out to them uh, because while we're hating track, they're dedicating their time and energy to making us better. And they did. Um, but at this time, <laughs> I finally made it to the Cornerstone State Games. I made it to regional track meet, and I kept seeing like this new track team. It just came out of nowhere, and all of them were wearing T-shirts that said BTC, and they're wearing this bright Bahama-looking blue and this bright yellow lettering that says BTC, and they just had like all stars. Oh my God, who are these kids? There was one kid that was just faster than everybody. He just had so much heart. It's like, God, this kid is fast. Like, so much heart. He's just running his tail off. Vince. So I'm like, okay, this kid is cool. Well, on the way back from our regional track meet, we got disqualified out of our four by one. So, of course, that was horrible. We all cried. We we're like 10. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, those are the people my mom and dad were talking to. And so they're all talking. And this kid, Vince, that was beating everybody in the 400 and 200, we had got, got along. So I asked my parents if I could ride with my new godparents and, you know, hang out with this kid. Well, we did. We became great friends. But I quit track that year, so I didn't see him. Now, if you know my parents, they have a strong work ethic. Um, my mom was a, a gymnast, a dancer, a singer. Uh, uh, she's awesome. It's like before there was Black Widow and Kill Bill, there was my mom. Um, my dad was, you know, recruited by Ohio State to play football. He was a runner and a trackster, also, you know, a hooper. So 
they had those work ethics and values and weren't going to let me just sit at home and do nothing. So quitting track meant, what else are you going to do? So they let me hoop. I played basketball. I got to play. And for some odd reason, I didn't get to, you know, get the ball as much. We were living out in the suburbs and the kids just really didn't, you know, just really didn't want to share the ball or pass with me. I didn't know what the deal was, didn't know what the problem was. So we changed teams and boom, I automatically had more fun, was getting the ball more and and met some of the friends that um, I still have today. I I still know some of these guys today. Well, my basketball run ended, you know, when you change age groups, you change teams and, um, you know, just about to go to junior high. Well, we moved. So, you know, we moved across town and a lot of things changed. I mean, I was going through that young, awkward period, you know, just turning 13. And I mean, so many things changed and I really struggled with this time. Keyword struggled. Um, it, It was hard. I went from being on the honor roll, fifth and sixth grade, and having awards for my penmanship, to now almost failing classes and having to get a signed letter to pass through junior high. I mean, my mom was in the office crying. I really struggled with the change of environment, the change of kids, the change of everything. And you know, it's like you got your friends, you got your cousins, you got people. But it was just a tough time. All of it was just a tough adjustment for me. The move, the school, everything. So this was not a good time. And I just, I don't remember really anything good from that time until I got to about freshman year of high school. So my mom wouldn't let me go to high school with my friends from my old basketball team. <laughs> she said, absolutely not. You just wasted, you know, pretty much all of your academic juice and didn't do anything. So why would I let you be around people that are going to take you more off task? And it was hard. You know, I had been kind of tagged as a, a behavioral problem kid and they had sent me home with, you know, papers to monitor what I was doing. And you know, we're thinking about putting me on, you know, Ritalin. And then finally my, you know, parents sat me down and had me looked at, had me checked, had my IQ tested. And they, later they just concluded that I just wasn't interested, <laughs> which is kind of true. And there, there's more background on that I can talk about later. But that change, that move was hard. And um, later we're going through our high school orientations and we get to walking around Central High School. So I'm, you know, just finishing eighth grade and I'm trying to be like all the kids around me. I mean, there's, you know, Bloods and Crips and I'm sagging and <laughs> trying to be like my cousins and, you know, trying to wear all the Nikes that my parents can't afford and listening to, you know, Aaliyah, R. Kelly, TLC, Mary J. Blige, you know, <laughs> Wu-Tang Clan, Busta Rhymes. I'm listening to all of them. And This orientation, oh my God, we're walking around my high school. And while we're walking through there, we just happen to go by the weight room. No big deal, right? Well, there's a guy in there squatting five plates on each side. That's a lot of weight. (laughs) And, um, you do the numbers in your head, that's a lot. And this guy was a Central High, University of Nebraska, and Go- and Green Bay Packers all-star, Amon Green. When I saw that dude, his size, them legs, and those uh, uh, plates on each side, I was like, I can't go to school here, not with those kind of guys going to school here. <laughs> and so that didn't stop the hustle. I still ended up on the you know front lawn first day of school and surprise, the seniors want to beat us up and throw us out of the window. 
they chased us around all year. We finally got even. And since I'm, you know, a bit of a martial artist, um, you know, I knew what to do when a few of them came my way. But, you know, eight people versus one, that's those odds aren't good for anybody unless you're <laughs> planning on punching people in the throat and being nasty. But that was the initiation, senior initiation. And uh, my struggles from junior high, they just they weren't really uh, improved at that point. You know, I was still alone. I ate lunch alone for a little bit. I just would go outside the lunchroom and eat on the stairs because I didn't know anybody. I didn't have the skills that I have now to just talk to anybody. I just, I didn't know anybody. So I was like, why am I going to bother people? Well, I made some friends. I started talking to some people in class, um, guys that are, you know, I'm friends with today still. Uh, were we immature? Yes. Were we knuckleheads? Yes. Did we do some foul things? Yes. Proud of it? No. <laughs> and um, we were about, I'll say, halfway through the year, and track and field comes up. So my dad is like, hey, are you guys doing track? And I'm like, well, I don't know. I heard some people talking about it. He's like, well, hey, if you need shoes, here you go. He just takes his shoes right out of his closet, some you know, nice Nikes. I'm like, oh, okay, you know, and I really liked them. So it was like hard for me to reject them. So I took them. About two or three days go by. Hey, you, are you guys, my dad, he's like, hey, you guys doing track? You guys running track? I'm like, yeah, you know, I, they're just starting to practice, just starting to get stretched. I don't, I don't know if I really want to do it. He's like, oh, you'd be fine. Like, it's like, I saw you run and beat those kids uphill last summer. I saw you running, racing them. He's like, you're ready. He's like, you should go out. So he gives me a sweats, gives me something to run with, you know, some sweats, some shoes, which should be it, right? Third time, ask me again. Hey, you, you guys running track? You guys ready? And I'm like, well, you know, you got to get a physical, blah, blah, blah. He's like, all right, I, I'll help you. Well, <laughs> I, you know, I'm late getting the physical. And uh, I finally get on the team. And boy, <laughs> boy, 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 was it cold out that first run. <laughs> I think. That season was what actually prepared me for the winter of a typical winter in the Midwest. So that kind of started something, you know, all that energy, all that unused energy. I just thought I was going to eat candy, draw comic book characters and look at girls. That's all I saw. That's all I thought I was going to do. But I started getting out and running and I would wear like a, a, a it was like a neon orange ski mask that I got from like Cabela's or, or Bass Pro Shop and matching gloves because they were warm. And these girls were talking about me like, yeah, oh my God, that, that kid in the orange is like really fast. Like, and it was so cold. You, you wouldn't dare take that stuff off outside. So they didn't know who I was. These girls were like, oh my God, that, that uh, freshman must be, he's like really fast or something. That kid with the neon on, I'm like, that's me. And they're like, boy quit playing i'm like oh girls like me ah. <laughs> so i'm just being dumb but it started something and i i had a training partner it was a kid that uh, i would train with named darian he was a freshman and the seniors hated us because we worked so hard just trying to outdo each other that it embarrassed them and they were like don't get beat up freshman <laughs> or make us come get you so we worked hard and that turned into something. Um, he went and ran like sprints. I went and did hurdles and they saw that I was flexible. They saw me stretching one day and they were like, yeah, take him over to, you know, do the hurdles. And so I um, jumped like a gazelle, because I'm a gazelle, <laughs> plop, flop right on the ground, rolled like Indiana Jones. <laughs> it was like a nice tumble roll, that, that nice Avengers Captain America role. And um, I got back up and tried it again. And that created the spark that led to the, you know, 110 hurdles and the 300 hurdles. And I mean, 
the first couple of meets, oh my God, they were horrible. They were trash. I mean, I, I even ran around one of the hurdles at a JV meet. Um, I would clip and fall. And I remember one meet, I just straight up fell. I got up and, you know, kept running at a, at a varsity meet. And uh, it, it was bad. You know, there was some coordination and some training things that I just did not have. And previous to this, I had maybe jumped one or two hurdles when I ran for the Striders team before I quit. And I was like, oh, these things are weird. <laughs> um, but freshman year was good. Um, it was a good builder. It was it was the roots. It was just so raw. And as a freshman, I started to set records as time got, you know, time went on and I got better. Things started to get better and I ran into my godparents. And my godmom, you know, was in the stands. And I was like, hey, do you have an extra bag? And she was like, well, if you use this bag, you got to run on my team this summer. And I was like, deal. <laughs> and I think she knew she had me because she knew I'd ran track before. And they had seen me. We had, we had driven back, you know, from our regional meet. But this time she knew I was serious about it because you run in high school track. You're not going to do anything in the summer. <laughs> so summer track team was the biggest eye-opening experience for me because I got to see that track could be bigger than just um, the state, a state track meet. It could be bigger than just what I see. And running in, you know, those regional track meets and those national track meets and seeing, you know, Texas really show up and California really show up and, and just how big the guys were from Texas, I mean, it just blew me away. I mean, these guys were like double our size, but they were, you know, our same age, which was like crazy. But that freshman year was a great builder. Sophomore year, I even got in the newspaper for shoveling lanes. I got in the newspaper for, you know, challenging the best. And you see this little, little guy running hurdles. Um, the king of, of hurdles at that time was Ira Cooper in the uh, uh, 300 hurdles. He was like a freshman beating everybody. Um, but I got, you know, disqualified that year in, um, in, the, in the 300 hurdles, which was sad. But you fast forward to summer track. Running with my, you know, friends, with Lee, with, you know, Ryan and, and all my good buddies running for my godparents. And we get all the way, you know, we go up to, you know, Madison, you know, Wisconsin and for regionals and then nationals is, um, you know, in Louisiana, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. It was gorgeous. I loved it. Everybody from Nebraska hated it, <laughs> including black people because of the humidity. I loved it. We ate good. We had good grits and cheesy grits and all kinds of good food. I got sixth in the nation there. So sixth in the nation at 16, it was, it, it was quite something to, to, to carry. And I love that. And knowing, you know, in the Midwest is more about football. Not a lot of people cared, but the people that, you know, ran track and knew it cared. Now, coming back junior year, I had that success. I had that steam rolling. I had that momentum. And I get through that season. I did a pretty good job. I finally get back to state meet. I run the 110 hurdles, run a great time. I win class A gold. I didn't win all class because the guy in class B Smaller class actually ran a faster time, um, which I, I really wish they'd let us all race. So that's what everybody was talking about. Um, but that class A was beautiful. And I got lazy at that time. I won't say it got to my head. I got cocky. I got lazy. And I started partying. Me and Vince would go out, hanging out. <laughs> My old buddy from my old old days. Now we're running a summer track team together. But I was like, hey, we should hang out. Well, we started hanging out. And then at that time, I started hanging out with a different crew. I wanted to look at girls. I wanted to stay out late and stand on my feet all day because I got a job now. Well, those things do not mix. If you know anything, standing on your feet all day, it, it really wears down your legs, takes the spring out. So trying to run track 
party, stand on your legs all day and be, you know, this champion, it, it didn't work. I got humbled real quick. <laughs> the guy that I was battling with, Travis, who uh, ran for my best friend's school, um, he was just like, this is mine. <laughs> he snatched the keys right out of my hand. And the rest of that summer, he just owned it. Um, only sad part was, um, you know, I really wanted to, you know, transfer schools and, and run with not just my best friend, but also that team. It never happened. But um, that summer, we're at Nationals in Seattle, and he hyperextended his knee. So he won regionals, got to Nationals, which I thought he did a phenomenal job, but the both of us were sidelined. So we were both watching that race, the, the 110 race. And with my time that I had won state with, I would have gotten third at this national meet. And at that time, I, I dedicated my senior year to not slacking off at all. I went out for a little cross country <laughs> to get some lungs. I was dominant senior year. Not only did I run and win every uh, hurdle race my senior year, I broke the record at almost every track meet for the 110 hurdles. I got recruited to run track in college. I got to run at the national track meet later that year, and I was even ranked uh, in the top 12 or 14. So my high school journey in track and field and summer track, I mean, it, it's a beautiful one. I, I don't take it for granted at all, and I love it, especially coming from the Midwest. So only trouble is you get to college and the 39-inch hurdles are 42-inch hurdles. I did not get taller. I struggled with the 300 hurdles because I didn't switch legs. I'm a right leg lead. I was recruited to run the 400 hurdles, actually. <laughs> Being a shorter guy, my coach, um, uh, Coach Gottsleben, he recruited me to run the 400 hurdles, which actually ended up being my bread and butter. So not only did I have to make that adjustment to run the 42-inch hurdles, I had to run an almost perfect race to do a good job. And my, my friends that were throwers <laughs> were commenting saying that I was Spider-Man, which if you've seen the, the old or new Spider-Man movies over the last 10 years, you know that he's a very flexible, very agile guy. And I had to be exactly that to get over him. So, whew. That was nasty. I'm not going to lie. That was a nasty, nasty, nasty time. It was about a two or three year adjustment just to look good. And getting to the 400 hurdles, same thing. Being able to switch legs, same thing and alternate. It's like even the best struggle with alternating. And it's, it's awesome to see him do it, though. But. Oh, my God. One thing I'll always take away from this time period, uh, my, my, my training partners and best friend, Ryan, uh, Lee, uh, Pat, Ronnie, Lane, um, all the guys there, Steve and Tanya. <laughs> that fall training was so hard, right? I say right in the middle, my, my sophomore and junior year, it was so hard that you either bent or broke. And if you bent, you were bent into the right shape. But if you broke, it was like, there's something wrong. And that training was so good. I mean, just an example, our fall training, we do a mile and come back to the track. We do a mile to the track, run a 200, 400, 600, 400, 200 ladder, and then run a mile and then back to the track or, or run a mile home. It was like training like that that we did in the fall that had us almost invincible. And I almost qualified for nationals, I think, my sophomore year uh, running stuff like that. So, you know, my, my best marks um, in the 110 hurdles, I'm 5'9". <laughs> and in the 110 hurdles, my best time at 5'9", 160 pounds was a 14'2". And then just before I closed the door on my uh, college career, um, my 400 hurdle time was a 52.6. Um, so in my case, um, I didn't mind being humbled through training because it meant that I was going to get better. 
every summer I would compare notes and find out what I need. What do I need to get better? What do I need to get better? And I mean, I had, you know, my friends and roommate Ryan to look up to Ryan, Ronnie, um, you know, Steve, Tanya. I mean, I had all these people to look up to um, Tom Green. <laughs> it's like the fastest white guy you've ever seen. I mean, he was running a 10-3 and you'd see him. He'd be like the only white guy, you know, sitting in the middle of the track in lane four. And you'd be like, what? Like all the all the chocolate, all these guys are like looking at him like, what is he about to do? And he'd be gone the first few steps. You know, I I took great pride in, in, in running with him and, and being humbled by all the upperclassmen, all these guys. You know, it was it was a great journey. It was a fun journey. I was a conference champion. I got to run in several national track meets. I had a great time with that and I, I loved every second of it. Um, I would go back and do it all over again if I could. I just probably would have went to the uh, dentist more often. <laughs> I wouldn't have ate so much, uh, so many ramen noodles and, and so much salt. And, you know, I definitely would have paid a little bit, bit better training, uh, better attention to uh, my training in the off season, the fall and, you know, the shoes I put on my feet. Um, but yeah, um, last thing I'll leave you with um, for those of you who are listening to as parents, if there is one thing I can say, especially for you parents in the Midwest with kids in the Midwest, for the 400 specifically, it is not a race designed for your kids to throw up at the end. If you watch what a professional does at the end of a 400 meet, a 400 race at a track meet, they can talk, they can give interviews. At most, they might bend over. They might lay out on the ground. <coughs> Excuse me. At most, but throwing up off the track and running so hard that they're throwing up is not, that's not training. That's a lack of training. That's poor coaching. There's a kid named Matt Bowling who's all over YouTube and, and social media now. And, and I think it's cool. He's a white guy. The kid is gifted and fast, and I think that's partly why he's getting so much exposure. Me, personally, I just love that he's so fast. I don't really see color, but I think America sees it because you, you generally don't see a lot, of, um, a lot of that, you know, in sprinting as far as speed. And the kid is phenomenal. He's doing a great job. But when he runs the 100 and the 400, he's not throwing up off the side of the road. And it's actually something I learned from Tom Green, another white male, blazing fast speed, amazingly talented. He grew up on a farm. You've got to know your body. And for 400 meter runners specifically, you're either in one group. You're either a short sprinter or mid or a uh, uh, mid distance. So maybe 400, 800 guy. So you're either a short sprinter that runs runner one, 100 or 200 or guys that are capable of running the 400, 800. And somehow you kind of meet in the middle and, and you run a 400. If you are a short sprinter, you need to do things over 36 seconds. And these kids need to do things that last longer than their race. They need to add 100 to it or uh, uh, another 50 meters to it. So if they're training for the 400, they need to run 450s or 400s and you might want to leave the clock out of it for a while and just focus on their body learning how to run their body learning pace their body learning how to make it around the track in one piece maybe just going for a jog maybe having them jog a couple laps jog a mile and then do sprint drills open up their little lungs teach them teach them how to move can they do push-ups can they do lunges can they do those simple functions of the body, you know, in repeat fashion for, for things that last half as long or as long as their race? So please don't dog your children out. Don't make them hate running. Don't make them hate the 400 meters. Quality training will give you quality results. The last time I saw somebody throwing up was after they were drinking too much or when they were sick or when something's wrong. So running to the point of exhaustion where you're, you look bad 
isn't necessarily quality training. And if you care about these kids and you care about your bodies, you wouldn't want them going through symptoms of, of people that are sick, <laughs> of people that are doing something bad. Now, running against the world's best, I don't mind flopping over and rolling on the ground after crossing the finish line because I get paid to do this. This is how I make my paycheck. It's not just my paycheck on the line. It's my name in the next season. I've worked too hard, too damn hard to cross the line slouching. So I get it as an adult. But if we take the note from an adult, what do they look like when they come across that finish line? So this is my track and field journey. I'm really loving the Masters track and field. I'm an old fart now and I love it. I don't mind saying that because if I beat some of these younger kids, you got beat by the old guy. I've got a great community, great family and, and support around me. My friends, my family, I, I thank my parents. I thank my godparents, Dee Dee and Brian. I thank my best friend, Ryan, uh, uh, Gerald. I thank Steve and Tanya for you know allowing me to be extended family. Um, there's just so many great people to thank. Um, and yeah. Please be inspired. Please be inspired. Please be inspired. One thing I forgot to add, my senior year, I said that I was dominant. I was all class gold in the 110 hurdles and 300 hurdles. And not only do I still have a ranking in the 300 hurdles as one of the top hur top 10 hurdlers in the state, um, I still hold this, this, seat, this state, I'm sorry, <laughs> meet record for my school. I still hold the school record. Blah, blah. Couldn't even say it. So I'm a true testament that you can find your way. I'm a true testament that, you know, if your kids are beat up by anything, they, they can come out of it. You, you got to talk to them and, and, and nurture them in a way that shows them growing, that, that makes them excited and they have fun. Now, my parents did have to push me, but they didn't push too hard. They didn't make me hate anything. I'm so glad they let me quit track. Because when I came back to it, oh my God, I was dominant. <laughs> I just, I, I had to work on it. So thank you all for listening to me. I love you all. I'm thankful and humbled by you all. I hope you have a great weekend. Hope you have a great week. Uh, depending on when you listen to this, hope you have a great drive. Hope you have a great time. Hope you have a great night. And I'll talk to you soon.